This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is your co-host, Mike, here. And on the show, myself and my co-host, Josh, interview people from around Central Ohio that are conquering in their respective fields, both in life and in business. And uh, on this episode, I got a chance to chat with Claudia De Leon, and she's the co-owner and COO of La Mega Media, or La Mega Media, sorry, I get, uh, you'll see. But uh, during the interview, you can clearly hear Claudia's passion for informing and supporting the Hispanic and Latino communities here in the Midwest. And early on in the show, we talk about how Claudia ended up making her way to Columbus. The Ohio State University had a program that was for migrant students. I was not a migrant student. My parents were not migrants. They'd never worked, you know, in agriculture, but I would attend the sessions just because I was curious. In one of the instances, I became interested in Ohio State. I ended up applying. I got an academic scholarship. I applied to six different universities. I got accepted to five. They all offered minority scholarships. Ohio State was the only one who offered me an academic scholarship, and it was the primary reason why I chose it. Later, I asked Claudia about the different products La Mega Media offers and how that's changed since she started working there. The main product that we have within La Mega Media is the broadcasting, right? So the radio station. Historically, we were known as a regional Mexican station, which we were catering mostly to the Mexican community immigrating, a lot of the blue collar workers, a lot of immigrants. Throughout the years, we have really evolved into becoming a media company that caters to the Latino community via the different products. We wrap up the show talking about some advice for our listeners, both personally and professionally. There's a little bit of everything in everyone, right? It doesn't matter where you're from or where you come from. That's important that you're just aware of your surroundings and you're aware of, you know, who we're sharing space with and who we are collaborating with. On the side of entrepreneurship is really to set your goals and to not be afraid to ask for help. That was a big challenge on my end. It's something that I've learned, you know, over the past two to three years. But I do think it's important that you understand that there's people out there that are willing to help and that you can really do anything that you set your mind to if you have the right mindset. I had a great time chatting with Claudia and learning more about La Mega Media. And as always, we hope you enjoy this interview as well. Thanks so much for tuning in. Let's get on with the show. Buenos dias, Columbus. We are here with the Conquering Columbus podcast. Yes, this is the Conquering Columbus podcast. And if you don't speak Spanish, well, you better learn some because uh, our guest today, I'm really excited to have her on, is uh, from La Mega Media. So back it up a little bit. Our guest on the show, we're talking with Claudia De Leon, and she's the co-owner and COO of La Mega Media. And La Mega Media is a minority-owned business and is one of the largest Hispanic media companies in the Midwest. And the company's corporate office is located right here in Columbus, Ohio. They've got additional offices in Cincinnati, Cleveland, and they also reach into Dayton, Northern Kentucky, and Pittsburgh. La Mega Media offers a complete range of products and solutions through its media platforms via radio, print, digital, and other events. And the company specializes in creating and delivering innovative programming, service digitalization, original and exclusive content, and advertising consulting services for clients interested in reaching the Spanish-speaking population. So again, I'm really excited to talk with Claudia about her journey, La Mega Media, and a whole lot more. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Claudia. Gracias. Buenos dias, Mike. It is such a pleasure to be here. Conquistando Columbus, conquering Columbus. Mm -hmm. This is awesome. I really appreciate the invitation. I'm excited to talk about the journey that has brought us to where we are today. Um, so thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to be talking with you as well. And I'm curious to kind of get your story because we were talking earlier and you said you grew up in uh, 
near Rio Grande and coming from Rio Grande to Columbus, that seems like it's got to be a story. So <laughs> maybe we can start back up and just talk about how you got here then in your story to start a little background on yourself. I question this every single day. I don't know why I'm in Ohio, but every single day I fall more in love with Columbus. So I actually moved here in 2003. I had a full ride scholarship at the Ohio State University. Um, the Ohio State University at the time used to do a lot of recruitment um, in that area of Texas, mainly for migrant students. So there was a, a huge population from South Texas that it's a border town. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of Latinos that live there that would work the fields. And the Ohio State University had a program that was for migrant students. I was not a migrant student. My parents were not migrants. They'd never worked, you know, in agriculture, but I would attend the sessions just because I was curious. In one of the instances, I became interested in Ohio State. I ended up applying. I got an academic scholarship. I applied to six different universities. I got accepted to five. They all offered minority scholarships. Ohio State was the only one who offered me an academic scholarship. And it was the primary reason why I chose it. So that brought me here. I was in the honors and scholars program at Ohio State, and um, I was able to do two degrees there. Originally, I said, I'm going to come here for four years and leave. Mm -hmm. I cried every day for the first year that I was here because I really missed my family. Um, I come from a very traditional uh, Mexican family, and mm -hmm. so it's not common for you to leave the household unless you're married. And I wasn't. So I was like really hoping to be back in four years. Eventually, I enrolled in law school, and then I started working in this media environment that I fell in love with, and it's now been 19 years. Um, so I've been here for half of my life, mm -hmm. and um, I'm very happy. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. We covered a lot of ground in a short <laughs> amount of time, but when you first came to Ohio, you mentioned probably hoping to go home quickly, right? Like You're like, hey, I'm going to get in, get the degree, go back, but I'm curious about what made you want to stay. So it was... Ohio became the place where I became independent. When I was growing up, again, coming from a very traditional household, mm -hmm. there was a lot of things that I wasn't allowed to do as a female Mexican, you know, with a father who was raised a certain way. You know, basically I was raised to be a mother and a wife. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they permitted me to leave because I didn't really ask for permission. I kind of just came here. Once I was here, I realized the importance of being independent. And I realized if I did go back home, it was not going to allow me to do the things that I was going to do here. But there was another side to that too. And I think it goes along with, you know, what your podcast is about, where if I left to Texas, I would have been more comfortable mm -hmm. being around family, being around a state where a huge part of the population in larger cities is Hispanic and is Spanish speaking. I knew that it would be a bigger challenge for me to stay here and try to do something as a Latino living in Ohio. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And, and Ohio is in particular one of the states where I think, at least for somebody from San Diego, from that border town area, you think, hey, it's a bunch of white people and farms, right? Like that's <laughs> that's what I thought of when I thought of Ohio growing up. And I, and I can't even imagine, you know, coming here from your situation, coming and going like, okay, here's Ohio. Like, I mean, it's got to be a completely different experience. It was. And what I was most disappointed in is that, you know, growing up, I would see movies about different areas in the United States. And when I 
was looking at universities to apply to and places where I could go. There's all these beautiful places, you know, with mountains and mm-hmm. water and, you know, all of the things that I didn't see. So the border, I'm, I'm from a place called the Rio Grande Valley. So it's a valley mm-hmm. and it's hot and it's humid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we do have some interesting things. So my house is 12 miles away from the border with Mexico. We're about 30 miles out from South Padre Island, which is the coast. So there's some interesting things, but it's still a valley. And I ended up moving to a landlocked state mm-hmm. that's also a valley. Also valley. <laughs> Very flat. No. Yeah, but we got we got winter at least. You have four seasons. Right. We have four seasons. Right. Um, I always told myself that the year that I was here for half of my life or more than half of my life is when I would start calling myself an Ohioan. And I moved here in 2003. So mm-hmm. next year it'll be 20 years. And I got here at 19. So in one year, one year. I'm an Ohioan. <laughs> I'm, it's funny that you measure it the same way that I do. Because I got here in 2011. I was 18 at the time. So I'll be, I got a few more years to go before I'm fully in Ohio. But <laughs> I will count it after, I think I, I'm a year or two away as well. Because I never spent more than 11 or 12 years in one place when growing up. But so you mentioned law school, you mentioned a couple other things, right? You get done at Ohio State. What did you do after that? So I'm going to back up a little bit. When I was in high school, I ended up applying as an exchange student Mm -hmm. and my parents did not want me to go. They would refuse to pay for it. Um, I really wanted to go some really, really interesting, like Europe is really where I wanted to go or Latin Mm -hmm. America um, because I spoke Spanish already. Mm -hmm. Um, But those programs required money and my parents were not going to let me go. I was 17 at the time and it was just absurd and they would be criticized if I would leave the household without being married. So I ended up looking for a scholarship that they gave to five students in the nation. And um, I was one of the five students and it took me to Japan. Mm -hmm. So going to Japan and living in Japan, I was there. Not a lot of Spanish speakers there. No, but (laughs) I was there in 2002. And guess what was going on in 2002? I'm not sure. Korea, Japan, World Cup. Oh, Um, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So I was stationed in Totori, Japón, which is where the Equatorian team was. Mm -hmm. And I quickly became friends with the girlfriends and wives of the soccer players that were in that same town. Um, So I actually spoke a lot of Spanish while I was there. And Mm -hmm. it was pretty ironic, but it happened. And I met some really interesting people. When I did that, you know, it really made me want to do something international. And um, so while I was at Ohio State, I did a degree in political science with emphasis in um, political economy. And then I did international business with emphasis in um, international relations and commerce. And that's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at some point I decided there was, once you're here, you start meeting people. I was very involved um, with the community. I I was an activist for a lot of different areas in whether it was, you know, civil rights or Mm -hmm. anything around the Hispanic community, which was a a lot smaller at the time. And as you meet people, you network, and it just became a better opportunity for me to stay. Now, choosing Capital Law School was not really what I wanted because I didn't, like, I kind of understood what it was to go to like, you know, uh, Moritz College of Law or to Capital Law School and understanding that the majority of lawyers that come out of Capital Law School end up doing law in the state. And I wanted to do more of an international law. So not, I wasn't so much interested in the black letter portion, mm-hmm. but it was what offered a, an evening program and I was paying for everything myself. Mm-hmm. And so I applied to other law schools across the nation. Um, most of them required you to quit, you know, whatever you were doing. So you have to do school full time. I couldn't afford it. You know, at the time, my parents, you know, I come from a very humble background. Um, and so they, 
would have supported me, but for them to support me, it would have, you know, required them to sell their properties or do something super extravagant to be able to help me. And I didn't want that. So while my undergrad was paid for with a scholarship, I ended up choosing to stay here because I was able to work and go to law school at the same time. And that kept me another few years here. <laughs> and then instead of law, we get to media. So, okay, now I got to ask how, how we go from <laughs> law school to media. So my first year of law school, I was um, working full-time at a, as an underwriter for a finance company. Um, so all over the place with that. And I originally was hired at this company because I spoke Spanish and they needed help with collections. And, and this is, I guess, for those of you that don't speak Spanish, the person who hired me hired me because they needed help with this Latino community that wasn't paying their bills on time. And it turns out that they are Latino. They were not Hispanic. They don't speak Spanish. They speak Portuguese. Mm -hmm. um, so I got hired because I spoke Spanish to talk to Brazilians that the only reason they weren't paying is because nobody was communicating to them the process for how to pay. So I ended up, you know, kind of Portuñol. I like I, I learned I met, met Spanish and Portuguese are very similar. Um, so I was able to communicate with them. And um, while I was working at this finance company, it became a challenge um, because I was working from 8 a.m. to 530 Monday through Friday. And then I was in Westerville then driving all the way to downtown to Capitol Law for classes from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m., then driving back to Westerville, you know, and reading and doing homework till about two in the morning. And it became such a challenge. So while this was happening, and prior to me starting law school, I was very active with an organization called LULAC, which is the League of United Latin American Citizens. Um, I was district director at the time, which meant that I was at the state house a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, I was a speaker at events and... When I started law school, I couldn't do it anymore because I didn't have time. So the state director for LULAC reached out to me and said, hey, a couple of guys are from Cincinnati and they are taking over a small radio station in Columbus that's broadcasting in Spanish. Are you interested in working with them? They'll be very flexible with you. You know, that way you can still help us with our activism stuff. You can still go to law school. That can be your focus and you can help the community. And so I agreed to interview for this position. Mm -hmm. And this was back in 2010. You know, in my mind, I said, I'm going to do this for a short period of time. And I'm just going to try this out, right, to see if it works out. So I interviewed with this guy. And it was one radio station at the time, WVKO 103.1. And he immediately offered me the job because I was the cheapest of all the candidates. And my only condition was um, let law school be my priority mm -hmm. so that I can, you know, focus on that. And I'll still help you with the Spanish. He needed a lot of, I mean, they bought this Spanish broadcasting company, but the guys don't speak. They don't know anything about the culture. They didn't know the language. Um, and I did. And so that's kind of how I started in media and then fell in love and never did law. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. That's a bold move to buy a Spanish focused company and not know anything about Spanish, but I imagine it sounds like they've uh, learned a little bit from there or no? Well, they saw it as an opportunity. So these guys had bought, they, they came from um, Clear Channel and one of them had been working with um, Urban One for a while mm -hmm. as well. So they had been working in um, ethnic, you know, um, broadcasting for a while. And this opportunity came up for them to buy a print publication in the Cincinnati area. So they're from Cincinnati 
And they bought this publication and it started doing really well because there was nobody else in the state doing it. Mm -hmm. And the Hispanic population, while it was small, was continuously growing. And so they saw it as an opportunity. And I think they actually did a great job at taking it from the people that were running it because they were able to structure it differently. And over the next 10 years, we grew from one small radio station and one print publication to three radio stations, three print publications, you know, across the state of Ohio. And that's when I ended up being able to buy it yeah. 10 years later. <laughs> and, and and so, okay. And before we get to that, you know, being the owner now, but before we get to that, what I want to talk about is you get into media and what was it you enjoyed about it? What was it that stood out to you early on? Helping the community. So as an activist, and this is something that I found, you know, throughout my experience in media, as an activist, you're out there and you're trying to help people. And a lot of times mm -hmm. people don't even know what you're doing or why you're doing it. You know, the people that you're trying to help don't even know that you're trying to help them. And sometimes it's really hard to get your voice heard, you know, so whether it's like, hey, let's all go out to vote, you know, today, like nobody understands why it's important or, you know, what the process is to get it done. And when you're talking to our community, the Hispanic community, there's an additional step because now you've got to translate everything. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was very involved in different areas, whether it was education, women's rights, civil rights, you know, workers' rights, immigration rights, you know, everything around the Hispanic community. And I always felt like we just weren't being noticed. Mm -hmm. And when I started getting involved with the media company, and this is mass communications. There's no other, you know, Hispanic outlet in town at the time, um, only FM station here. So all of a sudden you can convert this massive voice into something educational and, you know, going in there and being able to work with the program director to choose music that makes a difference, you know, and not, you know, we're not like a Christian station, but at the same time, we're not trying to, you know, um, put music that's going to maybe not be a good influence for the youth, you know, mm -hmm. going in there and actually establishing, you know, PSAs that are educational in nature. And at the same time, educating the corporations that are trying to get close to the Hispanic community to see it as more than just a number, you know, right. it's more than just a consumer, but you know, there's loyalty behind it. You know, we're, we're big families. There's just a lot of really good information that I felt this gives me a, a bigger platform. So right. This is before we bought the company. So right. just working for the company, understanding the power of media mm -hmm. and knowing this is how you can make a difference yeah. in a much better way than just being an activist and, you know, going up and down the street, maybe. Information, right? Information. Life from my But it's really important, right? If you're, if you don't have access to information, right? Especially being in a country where most people don't speak your language, it's very hard to get that access to information if you don't know where to go. And so having a resource like La Mega Media, where you can use that to provide the information people actually need and want to hear, I mean, it's got to be helpful, I would imagine. So you end up buying the company, right? And I imagine that was somewhat of a ride, but I kind of want to skip over that because I want to get to La Mega Media today and talk about what today looks like. So you buy the company and what does the company look like today? What are some of the initiatives you have going on? What are the things that you're doing and how did that change after you bought the company? So I want to kind of, mentioned the why for buying the company mm -hmm. at 10 years of us or, or of me being in operations and opening up all these other stations and expanding into, you know, doing events and trying to do a bunch of other stuff. 
I realized that I didn't have any more room to grow. The gentleman that owned the company at the time had already invested in something entirely different. So they weren't really focused in investing in, in this. And I quit. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'm, I'm leaving. You know, they came back um, and I kind of mentioned a little bit about this before the interview started. Um, my brother at the time, so this was in 2017, he got diagnosed with congestive heart failure at 35 years old. And I realized that I needed to be there for my family. They're in Texas. I wanted to help out. So I basically, I quit my job because I felt like it wasn't allowing me to grow as a person. Mm-hmm. I was just helping the company grow. Right. Um So when I did that, they came back and said, the company is not for sale, but if you can buy it, we'll sell it to you because you've basically been running it, you know, for the past 10 years. So that's where my business partner, Roland Medrano, comes into play. So he, I'm also president of the Hispanic Chamber of Columbus, Mm -hmm. and he was on the board and he became my mentor just naturally over the three years that we were working together. Um, So in one of our sessions, I sat down with him and I told him that this had happened and he said, why don't you bring the numbers over to me? We can look at them. And if it's a good opportunity, maybe I'll invest you know, in it as well. So that turned into this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a part, we'll skip over that part. But what I can tell you is that the reason that we flowed so well together is because we both agreed this has to be significant for the community. Yes. Both of us made that commitment from the very beginning where it's not going to be about the dollars. It's going to be about making a difference um, in order to attract a larger community here. So not only serve the existing community, mm-hmm. but also be a medium where we can help, you know, whether it's corporations understand that the community exists, that there is a consumer market here. Um, but also help that ecosystem that existed within the Hispanic community to expand into the general market, to be a part of that general market, and to make Columbus a friendly city or Ohio a friendly state for other Latinos to come to the state and contribute. Um, And that has been our primary focus in everything that we've done and all the products that we've added and everything that we've moved around. So we changed the name of the company. You know, we changed our print publication from a newspaper to a gazette. Mm -hmm. We added digital advertising, which we didn't have in the past. And we do events in a collaborative nature now with event promoters or event planners versus us putting on the events ourselves. And we added on another market, which in this case was Pittsburgh. Hey, everybody. Mike here. We're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. And we are very excited to partner with One Columbus. They really, really share the same vision as us here at the Conquering Columbus podcast, which is really building up the Columbus region to be one of the most prosperous regions in the United States. And One Columbus serves as the business location resource for companies across central Ohio and around the world as those companies grow, innovate, and compete within the global economy. And they help us lead a regional growth strategy that develops and attracts the world's most competitive companies. It grows a highly adaptive workforce and prepares our communities for the future, inspiring innovation across the board. Their mission really is just ensuring the Columbus region is a vibrant place to build businesses and careers. So again, we really appreciate all of their support. You want to learn more about them, go check out their website, columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back into the episode. And so you add all these things. How were those received initially? Like events, things like that. Like, how did you get the word out about those? And how were they received? Um, so we have always had a really good audience um, on the radio station. So the main product that we have within La Mega Media is the broadcasting, right? So the radio station. Historically, we were known as a regional Mexican station, which we were catering mostly to 
the Mexican community immigrating, a lot of the blue collar workers, a lot of immigrants, you know, you might call them. Throughout the years, we have really evolved into becoming a media company that caters to the Latino community via the different products. And so a part of the challenge for us at the beginning, and it still continues to be a challenge with a portion of the population, is that not everybody is as savvy with their digital, you know, mm -hmm. th there's not really, it's really hard for us to do like tickets um, where they get transferred to an email because a lot of our community doesn't really use email. You know, Facebook is huge for them, but not really Instagram and not really, you know, LinkedIn or Twitter even, it's more of like still stuck in that Facebook mm -hmm. mode. Texting is not as popular, but WhatsApp is huge within our community. Mm -hmm. So kind of like learning who we're talking to and how we can get that information out made a huge difference because right. then we were able to cater the campaigns, whether it was for events or for, you know, working with an advertiser to the specific demographic within the Hispanic community that they wanted to target or that we knew was convenient for that particular event or that particular product. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes a ton of sense. And so what does the team look like today? How many folks do you have on the team? We're up to 42 full-time employees and we've got a lot of contract employees as well. We have, our leadership team is composed of eight people. That is anywhere from a VP of publishing that handles everything on the publishing side. You know, we've got our digital coordinator. We have our traffic director, which does the trafficking of all the radio our program director, which does the content. Um, and then we've got managers in every one of the cities that we're in. We do work with a lot of freelancers for graphic design, for copywriting, for translating. And that's something that I feel really makes Omega Media unique. And it's something that we did after we took over. So actually creating a team that can help put a message into the language mm -hmm. And not just the language, but when we were just talking about this before the interview, if we're trying to go after the Colombians, it's mm -hmm. a different wording than if you're going after the Mexicans. And sometimes you're going after everyone. So you've got to be more neutral. And it makes a difference because there's some products and there's some events that are more geared for, you know, whether it's the Puerto Rican population or the Central American, you know, mm -hmm. attorneys do this a lot because right now there's different types of visas that you can get depending on what country you're from. So the language is the same, but the lingo is different. And so there's a translation team and then those translators go to copywriting. Copywriting then converts that over to, you know, whatever messages that we're trying to do. And then it goes to graphic design. So all of those team members are freelancers that we work with. Some of them here in the United States, some of them abroad. It just depends on, you know, what campaign or what product we're trying to push. Yeah, I mean, it makes total sense. And I mean, I maybe even helped to talk through the example we were using earlier about how phrases and things change, but we were talking about the phrase. So in English, the phrase is, I lost my train of thought. And uh, I was talking because I have a friend in Colombia, his name is Andres, and we talk once every few weeks, but he loves phrases. And we were talking about that. And in Colombia, it's the same phrase would be, Fueme la paloma, which is, there goes the dove. And then in Mexico, se me fue el tren. Se me fue el it's, tren. I lost the train, you know? Se me fue la paloma, se me fue la. Yeah, it's just those little things, right? Those little things matter, though, when you're trying to get in front of people. And also, it makes a huge difference when a lot of times, and this is something that I, you know, if there's anybody in marketing out there that's listening, and I'm sure now it's more common and people know about it more, but when you translate something like, you know, I lost my train of thought. Mm -hmm. In Spanish, that translates directly to eh, perdí mi pensamiento del tren. Mm -hmm. I lost my train of thought, you know, but that means nothing in Spanish. Right. And so a lot of times, you know, we will, <laughs> right, we'll get 
a company or we do a lot of PSAs as well that they'll say, here's my English script right. and here's a translation. Cause they put it, it in Google translate and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so that's where we differentiate ourselves as a company and, you know, being Hispanic owned and operated, we have a representation. And I was so proud to do this in our annual meeting of the majority of Latin American countries and, and Spain, which was weird, but that was not the case when I started working with the company. The majority of us working there were either Mexican, Colombian, or Puerto Rican. Now there's, you know, we've got a Cuban, Dominican Republic, we have Puerto Rico, we have Mexico, El Salvador, Guatemala, Peru, eh, Colombia, Venezuela. Like, mm -hmm. it's everywhere. We yeah. have people in our company from almost every part of Latin America, which I think makes it so interesting one, to know that 99% of them are in Columbia, or in Ohio, I'm mm -hmm. sorry. And two, that, you know, you have that talent and the access to, you know, this group of people that can really help reach the Latino community in the Midwest. Absolutely. I mean, it makes a ton of sense. And something that makes me curious about is, you know, as the Latino community has grown in Columbus, right? And there's more. And, and obviously, Columbus is a very welcoming city. But I imagine there's things we do well and there's things we don't do well. So I'm curious on kind of both ends of that. What do you think Columbus does well when it comes to welcoming the Latino community? And what could we maybe be a little better at? So I think that the educational institutions, you know, like Ohio State that mm -hmm. brought somebody like me and a lot of people that I know here does a good job of recruitment. And I also feel that some of the larger companies do a good job of either, you know, helping bring the immigrant or the migrant community. So whether it's coming directly from another country or coming directly from um, another state, you know, mm -hmm. that they're just migrating to the state of Ohio. Um, I think the general market needs a lot more education as far as the Hispanic community. I feel like the majority of people don't even know that there's a community out there. Mm -hmm. um, so unless you pop into a construction site or unless you are looking in a kitchen, um, you know, in, in one of the many restaurants in Columbus or looking at the cleaning crews, you know, at some of these commercial places where a lot of the cleaning happens at night mm -hmm. or, you know, at okay. the, the malls, right? Or going to an agricultural site, you really don't see the massive Hispanic community, but we're here and we're everywhere. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of unfortunately divided between those that are have assimilated into the culture, which kind of blend in. And you've a lot of, you know, maybe your nurses, your doctors, your executives that um, have more of a professional um, type of job that came here, you know, because maybe their family was better off and they were able to get an education or whatever the case may be. And then those that come here as a working class which I think that's really the mass, the masses in the Hispanic community mm -hmm. that a lot of people don't acknowledge. So I think as a city, I think the city does a good job with the intention. You know, right. you want to draw the Hispanic community here. You want to be more friendly, not just the Hispanic community, but I think in general, trying to be more diverse. Mm -hmm. I think that the people like those of us that live here could do a better job of understanding what that means and how it's beneficial. Yeah, I think that it was weird for me coming from San Diego where there's a huge Latino community. I mean, you know, it's almost it's almost more Latinos than white people out there, right? Like it's, I mean, it's just, there's a very, very big Latino community in San Diego. And seeing that and then coming to Ohio and Columbus and seeing kind of some of those major differences, it was interesting to say the least, right? And I think that in Ohio, what I see is that there's kind of a certain 
point at which uh, the community reaches, I guess, what I'd call critical mass, where all of a sudden it's like, okay, now we're going to start doing all these different things because <laughs> now we have just like one, oh, that one person across the threshold, time to change what we're doing. I don't know. It, it seems like it, but we're building momentum. But yes, I agree. I think that there's a lot of things that we can also work on, such as, hey, if you hear Spanish, don't get offended, right? They're not talking about you, <laughs> you know? That's just my personal opinion, though. And the culture is very influential. You mm -hmm. know, you you see the music. Um, you know, everybody knows Bad Bunny. Everybody mm -hmm. knows Ricky Martin. Everybody knows, you know, a lot of these Shakira, mm -hmm. maybe. I don't know about Carol G. But there's a lot of people that there are a lot of artists that have kind of, you know, they've gone into the general market. Mm -hmm. um, the food. I mean, you can find tacos now there's falafel tacos. Okay, you know? but, where, but where do I go for good tacos? So that's what I want to know. So there's more than one place, and mm -hmm. I'm not gonna give I'm not gonna give anybody any free advertising here. Okay, but fair. I will give you all the uh, good yeah, places. Yeah, I'm gonna have to get the scoop after the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> we should have done the podcast at one of these. What right. is today's Tuesday? Taco today's Tuesday, Tuesday, and people are voting. Yeah. So, and I don't know if I should have said that because it's recorded. I don't know when it runs. The uh, podcast. <laughs> the podcast. Uh, it'll run on Monday, but on Monday. they know that right. we're Margarita Monday. Margarita Mar Monday. Margarita Monday. Well, <laughs> everyone knows that we run on Tuesdays and Thursdays All and right. then release later. So you're um, fine. <laughs> so um, there's a lot of influence already. And if we think about it, you know, there's sometimes people don't realize that we're here because maybe you don't see as many of us. You know, mm -hmm. you go to Miami and you see the Uber drivers are all Everywhere. Latino and you go to California, the same thing. You know, mm -hmm. Texas, a lot of Latinos. There's a lot of policy behind why maybe in Columbus, there's not that many Latinos driving vehicles. A lot of it has to do with all the requirements needed to get a license. And, you know, the some of these other states are more lenient, you right. know, as far as what you need to be able to get a license. So if you don't have a license, you can't drive. And a lot of times I feel like we tend to judge, you know, whether or not there is a community or not based on what we can see. Mm -hmm. But it goes much further than that, you know, and there's also these, these misconceptions that maybe, you know, all the Latinos are in the kitchens, which that's also not the case. You know, a lot of times we own a business and I know a lot of very successful businesses in the Columbus area that, you know, are owned by Latinos. Um, one of the largest McDonald's franchises is owned by a Latino. You know, there's a huge construction company that's owned by a Latino. There's all these businesses, there's, you know, a chain of restaurants and a chain of supermarkets that's owned by Latinos. And a lot of times it's Latinos catering to the general market, but a lot of people just don't know that we're here. Yeah. So I'm going to kind of pivot towards some of the last questions of the show here, Claudia. And the first one I have is kind of, what do you see as the future for La Mega Media? So our goal is to be the largest Hispanic media company in the Midwest outside of Chicago. Mm -hmm. You know, this has been our goal for the past three years. I strongly believe that we currently are, mm -hmm. you know, but we want to grow bigger. So kind of branch out into some of our neighboring states, you know, whether it's Michigan, Indiana, Kentucky, you know, we're already in Pennsylvania, but kind of branch out and, and mimic what we're doing in the state of Ohio, provide these services and this expertise in those other states. So that's one of the main ideas that we have. At some point, a, you know, something that both Roland and I have agreed to do is to allow the company to be employee owned. We feel like that would be very important to have, you know, the employees that have helped us grow to where we are now and where we're planning on going in the next two to three years to also, you know, be a part of ownership. So looking at some kind of ESOP then? That is correct. Yeah. yeah makes complete sense. And what about personally? What do you look to accomplish personally outside of La Mega Media? <laughs> so I have been in Columbus, like I said, for almost 20 years now. And um, that's 20 years away from my family. I have devoted my life to serving the community, to, you know, becoming a business owner. 
So I never got married. I don't have children, you know, and I live away from my family. So it's always at the cost of something, you know, and I feel like I'm 38 years old. So I feel like, you know, um, not that I'm running out of time, mm-hmm. but that there needs to be, come a, a point where I have to focus on that as well. Right. So, you know, the more that we devote, you know, our energy to really growing the company and make it a strong company, I'm hoping to have a bit more time on my hands. Mm-hmm both to take advantage of my parents who, you know, over the past 20 years, I've seen no more than three times a year. Mm -hmm. So if you do the math, you know, that's, you know, three times 20, 60 times, you know, that you see your parents over a 20 year period is not a lot. And, you know, they're in their seventies now. So, you know, when you think about it, it's like, how much longer do you have to be with them and that you can take advantage of that time with them? And um, like I told you before, my only brother, that was sick when I started this journey, passed away a month ago. And he left behind two children, you know, as well. So kind of like the family thing is what I want to focus on for me. That's always been my why outside of the community. And, you know, a part of the motivation to help the community is because I see my family and every single person that's out there. So I think that on a personal level, that's really what I want to focus my energy on is to think about, you know, how I can either get closer to my family, whether it's bringing them here or spending more time with them, you know, there, and then doing something for myself too, so that I don't end up, you know, with 10 cats and alone somewhere. <laughs> oh, man. I don't have any pets either. So that's yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it makes complete sense. Right. I mean, you know, you, especially when you pour a lot of time and effort into something, right. Or buy a business, right. It's something we hear a lot from other business owners and entrepreneurs is you don't have time for much else. Just don't, you know, and it, it's difficult. So I can imagine. So as we look ahead to uh, the last couple of questions of the show, first one I have for you is, do you have any advice for our listeners out there? Um, yeah, just to be open, right? To have an open mind, um, you know, and I think advice as far as the Latino community is concerned is, hay un poquito de todo, like, there's a little bit of everything in everyone, right? So d- it doesn't matter where you're from or where you come from. That's important that you're just aware of your surroundings and you're aware of, you know, who we're sharing space with and who we are collaborating with, you know, on the side of entrepreneurship is really to, you know, set your goals and to not be afraid to ask for help. That was a big challenge on my end. It's something that I've learned, you know, over the past two to three years. But I do think it's important that you understand that there's people out there that are willing to help and that you can really do anything that you set your mind to if you have the right mindset. Awesome. And Our last question, Claudia, is centered on the theme of our show. It's live uncomfortably. We mentioned it earlier. So uh, what I'd ask is, what do you think of that theme and how is it applied to your life and career? And then the second thing I'll ask is, ¿Cómo se dice en español? Um, Vive. Vive. uh, Uncomfortable. How do you say uncomfortable? No lo sé. No, pues, a ver, dime tú cómo se dice incómodo. Vive incómodamente. Live uncomfortable. So incómodo. Yeah, I was telling uh, Mike at the beginning of the show that I think in Spanish and then I mm-hmm. translate everything to English and I don't know why I didn't do that one. Um, <laughs> normally, my, my Spanish is a lot faster, but vivir cómodamente. So I feel like I have lived uncomfortably, you know, for at least the past 19 years of my life and everything from going to Japan mm-hmm. to coming to Ohio, you know, to having culture shock, walking into that dorm room and realizing for the first time in my life that you can cook in a microwave. Mm -hmm. Um, I had no idea, (laughs) you know, to doing all the things that I've done up until this point, you know, I do think that you have to be uncomfortable to grow. 
And, you know, I feel like it is a part of success. You can't have success without failure. And you can't really advance in something without being uncomfortable in what you're doing. So I feel like, you know, the more comfortable I am, the more worried I get that it'll just become monotonous at some point. Monotono, I don't know how to say that in English. Monotonous, yeah. Uh, And that's not fun. You know, it could be comfortable, but it's not fun, you know? Um, And I know you're trying to get me off of here, but I think that's been- Never. We could stay here all night if you want. (laughs) I think that has been, you know, one of the biggest culture shocks that I had, you know, coming here because I do feel that when, and I don't want to generalize, but I think that when you are raised more in- the American culture, mm-hmm. everything is by the book and there's nothing wrong with that. One of the examples that I used to tell, you know, some people that I talked to here was the way that we do traffic in Latin America and the way that traffic. So I, by no means am I comparing Mexico to the United States because it's nowhere close. The United States is obviously a much better country to live in. However, you know, there's, you know how in the United States, it's very common for people to form a line mm-hmm. to get off at an exit. That's okay. like nobody's cutting everyone off. There's two lanes, you know, the lane that goes off, the lane that goes down. That's not the way it is in Latin America. You know, everybody, it's kind of like a free for all right. defensive figure driving, you know, you've right. got to figure it out. And I think that there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you kind of, you're taught here that things are done a certain way. You go to school, yeah, then you go got to- everyone's got their nice little box and- you And know. you live in that box and right. that's fine. There's, you know, people that are comfortable in that mm-hmm. is okay. But when you go outside of that box, and you live uncomfortably, you know, it's not always easy. There's always challenges and there's things that just make you question, like, should I have done this a different way? But at the same time, I think that there's a lot of fun things that happen. A lot of, uh, there's a lot of accomplishment and there's just this feeling of fulfillment that you can get from living uncomfortably. Because at the end of the day, you only have one life and you don't know how long you have to live. So if you have you know, on average 70 years or 80 years, and you're already halfway there, what are you going to do with the rest of your time to make it worthwhile? Because at the end of the day, it's what makes you happy and what contributes to your why that's going to matter. And I do feel like I have nothing against people that just kind of live, you know, a very comfortable life with what they're doing. And I think that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But for those of us that kind of, you know, we like the adrenaline, we mm-hmm. like the thrill, we like to go skydiving. <laughs> right. You know, the, living uncomfortably is is a good thing. Yeah, that's a great answer, Claudia. And it has been so much fun getting to talk with you and learn more about La Mega Made It. So thanks for joining us. Muchas gracias. Gracias y uh, Conkers, thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed that episode, go ahead and hit that subscribe button, whatever you want to, whatever podcast app you are listening on. We release every week on Monday and we talk with great people like Claudia every week. So if you want to learn more about Columbus, what's going on here, hit that subscribe button. Otherwise, thanks so much for tuning in. We appreciate all your support. We will talk to you next week.